I do want to talk about these things. Some people have them in their pockets. Some people have them in their cars. I grabbed mine out of my car. Coins, money. I don't know if you can see that. It's a really small screen. Got some money here. Coins are, are really interesting things because they have two sides to them. On one side is very predictable and very standard across most coins, at least in Australia. They have the face of the queen on them and some official writing about when it was the coin was created and that it's, it's, it's a very official side of the coin. And on the other side is often something a bit more creative, a bit more decorative, a bit more celebration oriented. And it also has the value on the other side, which is really interesting too, that the value is on the creative side. Two sides of the coin. Now I've got a dollar coin here and I am going to give this dollar coin to anyone that can tell me what's on the creative side. Now, it can't be a Patterson because you might have seen this on my desk the other day. And I know Crystal and I had a conversation about it, so it can't be a Williams either. But um, can anyone guess, want to unmute yourself and guess if, you're near, if you've got the mute button nearby. Do you want to guess what is on the creative side? You know, there's normally a, you know, on the $1, it's normally a kangaroo. It's not a kangaroo. It's a, it's a different thing. And I looked at it and I was like, seriously, they've put that on a coin? Does anyone want to have a guess for a dollar? Not worth a dollar? It's not COVID related. It's not COVID related. Go, Nath, what do you reckon? Is it a kookaburra? It's not a kookaburra. Does anyone else want to have a guess? Is it the Opera House? Not the Opera House. I'll give you a clue. You're miles off, both of you. Uh, I've got a, in the room here, we've got the Southern Cross, not the Southern Cross. What do you reckon, Rach? Hannah? Catherine? Is it like donating to charity? Not donating to charity. Not football. Not football. I get to keep my dollar, I'm afraid. I'm going to keep my dollar. It, uh, it, it is a relatively new one. It was 2019. And it's a picture of a ute. What? I kid you not. I have a $1 coin. I don't think the screen's going to do this justice. There is a picture of a ute on my $1 coin. Anyway, that's, uh, I get to keep it. So, coins. Fantastic. Sometimes I think a journey as a Jesus follower is a little bit like a coin. There's two sides to a picture. On one side, I'm a child of God. I'm created free. I'm beautiful. I live with the abundant life that he has rescued and redeemed me for. I get to commune in intimacy and I love the way Steve unpacked that with us this morning in communion. The privilege and opportunity to experience God's love and commune in intimacy with him. It's all about relationship. There's this beautiful creative side, a bit like the coin, you know, with animals or celebrations or fundraisers on one side. And even the value on it is a bit like that too, isn't it? You know, the, the value is sort of on one side. And then on the flip side, we're called to be obedient. We're called to sacrifice, to be holy, to serve God and love others, to not live for ourselves, but to glorify him. It's sort of like almost the official side of the coin, the, the formal side of the coin, that idea of, of something bigger than ourselves that's, that's a bit weightier, that's heavier. And, and often it can feel like a contradiction. Often the two sides of this coin can feel like they're in opposition to each other. You know, we read in, in Psalm 23 that the Lord leads me beside still waters and he renews my soul. It says, I lack nothing because I lie down in green pastures. He refreshes my soul. And then on the flip side, Jesus said in John 4.35, you say it's still four months till harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. 
So am I, am I laying down in grease pastures or am I getting up ready for this harvest? Is there a contradiction here? On, on one side, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And on the flip side, he also says, Truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. So am I resting or am I working? Am I in green pastures or am I out plowing the fields or harvesting the fields? There's, this, there's often this tension. And you know what? The Pharisees were on to Jesus with this. A lot of their questions, a lot of their things that they challenged him on were about the tension in these two spaces, trying to get him to trick him, to trap him up going, aha, there's, there's two perspectives that you represent here and we're going to catch you out on the difference between them. You know, could, should we give taxes to Caesar? You know, should we heal a man with a shriveled hand on the Sabbath? You know, what's the priority, the, the law or the, this man's hand? You know, there's, they try to trap him. But the one that I reckon is a great example example of this is when Jesus is presented with a woman caught in adultery. I'm just going to read it for you. It's from John chapter 8. Now, for those that are theologians among us, I know John chapter 8 is not in some early manuscripts of the Bible. I want to acknowledge that, but I am convinced that, uh, that these words are for God to speak to us. And so I'm going to use them today. So it says in John chapter 8, starting at verse 2, early in the morning, he, being Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. Placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to sown such a woman. So what do you say? You can see the trap, and it even says, They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So you can see the trap, you know, the law or this woman's freedom and life. Well, what are we going to do? Which side of the coin are you going to fall on? And we're going to, we're going to trap you in what you say in response. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, I've heard lots of different stories about what Jesus was doing when he was writing on the ground. I'd just like to point out, you know, different sermons and people have gone, maybe he was writing this, maybe he was writing that. It doesn't actually say. My theory is that he was writing on the ground. But let's get going. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's a really beautiful response that Jesus has here. His first response is obviously to those that were accusers that tried to point a picture, point a division between the two sides of the coin. They were trying to be divisive and separate the two sides. And Jesus actually brought them together and says, you want to live by the law? Let's look at the fruit of the law in your life. Show me the fruit in your life. Show me your sinless life, this freedom that you're living. Show it to me. And then you have something to accuse someone of. 
And their response, obviously, was to leave the situation. But he didn't stop there because this woman was valuable, was significant, and, and was too precious to be ignored. This one person, he didn't want to ignore her. And he expressed a beautiful balance between, I will not condemn you. In other words, your life is restored. You're given back your freedom. You're given back the freedom to live that you potentially could have taken from you today. And go and sin no more. It wasn't just one or the other. He actually shared both in one beautiful little sentence. Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. It's an amazing picture of the both sides of this coin. I think a lot of preachers have a catchphrase or a line that's very familiar or attached to them. Some of the older people might know the phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. You know, that was a a phrase from a a famous speaker, preacher, communicator called a guy called Tony Campolo. People know the phrase, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Tanya's dad, I reckon's phrase is one that he's used in a number of sermons. And it's the tyranny of the all versus the genius of the end. Now, bear with me for a second. It's actually a phrase that comes from a business professor, but it's, uh, it's something really valuable and we're just going to unpack it for a second. The tyranny of the ore versus the genius of the end. Now, there's two parts to it. There's a tyranny of the ore. So the idea that we have to do one thing or another. The Pharisees were trying to say, this lady's freedom or the law. You choose Jesus. Which one are you going to choose? Freedom or law? You've got to choose one or the other. And often we do this. So often we try to divide, we try to compare, and then we'll elevate one thing and decrease the other. We'll promote one thing over another. We like the the or. It's A or B. Pick one. Sometimes that's what we do. We often do it, you know, again, traditionally, the Holden versus Ford. You've got to pick one. You can't like both Holdens and Fords. You've got to pick a Holden or a Ford. You know, in, in the camera people's world, it used to be you've got to pick a Canon or a Nikon. You can't like Canon and Nikon. You've got to favor one or the other. And we do it in life so often. And there's a brokenness in our mindset when we say you've got to pick one or the other. And sometimes it's for simplicity's sake. But a lot of the time we pit things against each other. We divide them and then compare them. And this is what the Pharisees were trying to do to Jesus. And he wasn't playing. On the flip side of that is the genius of the end. The fact that so often God puts things together. He deliberately puts things together and you can't have a coin without two sides. The coin actually needs both sides to function. And so we have these two ideas that sometimes we separate, but God says they belong together. You can have freedom and obedience. You don't have to just do one. You actually get to experience both. You can have green pastures. You can dwell and and rest in green pastures and be a part of the harvest. You don't have to just be one or the other. You can find rest in Jesus and be involved in doing his work. You don't have to do one or the other. One thing as I was reflecting about this this week is that often there's a push from leaders to be doing more. Often leaders draw people into things and and I'm doing it again today with light up the night. I'm saying get involved. It's really valuable. But if you only have one side of the coin, if you hear that as you've got to work harder, you've got to do more. If you don't have that in context to the freedom and life that you are given, 
It's not abundant life. They actually come together in a beautiful harmony. They were part of God's design. And so often there is genius in the end rather than the tyranny of the all. The genius of the end because they actually go together and God's beautiful picture is about them coming together. There's a number of spaces this happens and a number of spaces we divide. If you say, and I've heard people say this, if you say, I love Jesus, but I really can't stand the church, you're actually pulling something apart that God doesn't do. And you're all here, so you're not those people. But you occasionally hear people say that, that I love Jesus, but I I want nothing to do with the church. The church is described as Jesus' bride. How can you separate the groom from the bride? What are you trying to do? You're dividing something that Jesus put together. When you separate the word and the spirit, the word is God's spirit on paper. And some people go, you know what? You know what? I'm just going to trust the word. Or I've heard others say, you know, the word's good, but I'm just going to go with the spirit. I'm like, you can't separate them. They belong together. They were the geniuses in the end. On their own, they're not complete because the word and spirit go together. There's so many places that we get caught up with dividing things that God puts together. Now, I know Jesus said this for husbands and wives, but he said, what God brings together, let no man separate. And as I said, it was talking about husbands and wives, and yet it applies in so many places that if God has put something together, let us not separate it. And so I'd encourage you today just to think about this idea of, uh, of where you sit. What side of the coin are you looking at? Because one of the things about coins is you can't look at them both at the same time. And if you only ever study one side of the coin, you forget what's on the other side. And so I'd encourage you just to think about that. The two sides of the coin. Do you tend to be a little bit legalistic? Do you tend to be a little bit task-oriented? Do you tend to be a little bit driven by change, by movement? And do you sometimes struggle just to rest, to to experience God's love, to experience the intimacy and the relationship that he's given to us? Sometimes we're on the flip side of that coin and all we're thinking about is doing nothing and cruising. And sometimes we need to look at the other side and go, you know what? I was made for a purpose. I'm not here just to cruise through life. I'm actually here like God's created me brilliantly and beautifully, but he's actually created me for for fruitfulness. I was designed to be fruitful. Am I just chilling? I need to actually look at the other side of the coin and and maybe, maybe stand up and be a person of influence. I love so much to hear and to read on Facebook about the breakout room last week. For me, that was just such gold that without any script or without any questions or, or a leader saying, this is what you should do, a bunch of people got in a breakout room and said, you know what? We can encourage people this week. We can do that off our own bat. We don't need someone telling us. We can get the the freedom of one side of the coin and the fruitfulness of the other and make something amazing out of this. And just to hear the testimonies of what that looked like from just random people saying, we want to do this well. I want to finish with what I'm sharing with something really significant. And it came to me this morning. If you notice everything that God creates has momentum, has movement, has purpose, goes somewhere. 
The only things in creation that aren't going somewhere are dead things. So the only things that don't have progress, have momentum, are dead things. Things like a stagnant pool of water is often we consider that dead and or animals that are dead. The amazing thing is God doesn't even stop there. He even uses those things and creates new life from things that have died. But everything in God's creation has momentum. Often when we divide, we actually decide that one half is about momentum, is about health, is about goodness, and the other side is bad. But I really want to argue today and I want to present to you that God is on the move. He is a God of life. He is the God of fruitfulness. He is the God of abundance. Everything about God is about going somewhere. And I've said this to a number of people. The first time this came to me was actually a prophetic word. I've shared this before, a prophetic word for an exit interview that I was having with an employee at work. And as we were sitting in the coffee, my boss, myself, and this employee in the coffee shop, the word came to me was that this girl was actually running away. She wasn't running towards something. And for me, it struck me as something that was God's heart for mankind. He's not about running away from things. Sometimes he takes things off us because they're not good for us. But God is always heading towards something. God is always moving moving us forward, moving, moving us towards something. And for some people that becomes stressful and you need to rest in God. That doesn't mean you're not moving forwards. That means you're restoring, you're renewing, you're refreshing so that you can keep moving forwards. The green pastures for the sheep, for the good shepherd, is so that the sheep can be healthy and full and, and able to run around and grow beautiful wool for everybody. It wasn't just to laze about in the pastures. The labor, the obedience that we submit to as followers of Jesus isn't about a task that we become, you know, driven by the task. It's because God is fruitful. He's a God of abundance. He's a God of momentum and movement. And everything that he creates, everything that has life, everything that he puts his finger to, is one of movement and momentum and life. And so I really want us just to pause. I want us just to spend a second and just going, God, do I see your movement and your life? Do I see the part that I play in your momentum and your life? God, do I resist one side of this coin because I have a wrong idea of it? Have I, have I written it off as not part of your momentum and your life. Now, I realize that, that a lot of this is talking about big ideas, the idea of freedom and obedience. Um, but for me, this is actually very practical. This is very tangible, and this is very, this is very day-to-day. And, and I know for me, in my journey recently, and this is my natural tendency, is to be very task-oriented. I like to have a list. I like to tick things off the list. I like to know what the rules are and most of the time follow the rules. I like that space. So the idea of being someone who rests in God, who explores the peace and the, the intimacy with the Father, that's something that I'm personally working on. 
And that's something that, that through, through music, through just pausing, it's something that I tangibly need to flip the coin around and say, God, I want to acknowledge both sides of this coin. I don't want to get too tasky. I don't want to get lost in the task. I know for other people, they're, um, they're like a hippie who's free. They, uh, they flitter flutter around and wander aimlessly and bask in the love and the mercy of God. Beautiful. It's amazing. I'm jealous of you guys. I really am because I've got to work to get that. And it comes naturally for some people. And yet, as you read God's word and are challenged by scripture, Jesus holds these two things in beautiful harmony, that there is, there is a field for harvest. There's an opportunity to engage and be fruitful with what God's given us. But I really want you to realize that this is not just fluffy, high in the cloud stuff, but actually something that, that we tangibly need to wrestle with in our daily decisions, in our daily space. And the hard thing is there's two sides of the coin, so I'm not presuming you're one side or the other, but I would argue that people tend to lean one way or another. So I'd really challenge you and encourage you to step in and embrace the beauty of what God has put together. Um, not to resist it, not to compare it, not to reject some of it, but to embrace what God has brought together. I just want to pray. Lord God, we want to acknowledge that everything good comes from you. Lord God, we also want to acknowledge that sometimes the way we think, the way we respond is actually unbalanced, is actually a bit broken. Lord God, I thank you that you bring things together in beautiful harmony for our good. Lord, we're sorry that we distort the beautiful things, we divide the beautiful things that you create. But Lord, we acknowledge that your goodness, your holiness, your power, your love and your grace, your authority all come from one source. They all come from one beautiful source, and that is you. Lord, we want to honor and glorify you this morning even in the things of the picture that we don't understand or we haven't received the fullness of, Lord. Lord, we want to acknowledge that you are truth, that your ways are true, that when you say something, it is true whether we like it or not. Lord, we also want to acknowledge that you are so merciful. You are so gracious in our stumblings, in our wanderings, in our defiance, Lord God. You never give up on us. Lord, we thank you so much that you hold these two things in such beautiful harmony. And Lord, we come to you as, as living beings, as, as your creation, as people that have acknowledged the life that you've given us. And Lord, say we, we, we come and we say we acknowledge your authority and we love and thank you for your, your grace and mercy and love for us. Lord, we want to hold these things not in tension, Father, not in competition, but in the fullness of what you have for us. Because you are the God of life and these things are part of life. They belong together for your life. So, Lord, we surrender to you. We thank you for your picture of what life looks like. And Lord, we just, we just want to be people 
that rest in you and also are driven and motivated and live out life through you. Lord, we pray that your spirit would give us strength. Lord, we pray that your spirit would remind us of this this week. We pray that your spirit would bring transformation to our minds and our hearts as we step into your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.